0: Welcome to the latest FT Advisor in Focus podcast. Readers of FT Advisor will have seen several stories over the past few weeks that have raised concerns about the redress methodology for defined benefit transfer compensation. This methodology was put in place after 2019. But the vagaries of market movements and changes in inflation mean a victim of DB transfer mis-selling could be given a wildly different level of FSCS compensation um, then someone else who's in a similar boat, similar situation, similar problems, simply because of the time in which the calculation is done. So, for example, someone being given uh, a calculation on the 29th of December may find that they're receiving far less than someone being given a calculation level of address on the 3rd of January, or vice versa. Campaigners have claimed that this is wildly unfair, because people need their retirement incomes to be bolstered and they need their pension pot to be put back to the level at which it would have been had they not been missold or misadvised to transfer out of their defined benefit pensions. So this latest podcast is going to look at the problem of the redress methodology which has been raised by many people who've been involved in campaigns to help victims of DB transfer mis-selling. Of course there's um, sort of stems a lot from the work around the British steel workers. But this does affect every single person who's been advised wrongly to transfer out of their gold to DB pension schemes, whether they're from Sony or from Ford or wherever. So the problem could extend to thousands of people in the UK. With me to discuss this, um, simone Kuriaku, senior editor of FT Advisor, is Al Rush, who's founder and principal of Echelon Wealthcare, we also have Steve Groves. He's the former chief executive of partnership and now founder of Grifo Consulting. Welcome to you both.
1: Thank you homie much. Welcome.
0: Thank you. Good morning. Let's look at the, the, the problem of the redress methodology and the, the, the problem with the way in which it's calculated. Al, can I come to you first? When did you first realise that there might be a problem with the way in which the redress methodology is being calculated?
1: I suppose it was about six months into the BSPS saga when we started to get some indications back from FSCS about the compensation being awarded to Active Wealth UK Limited um, clients. Um, At that point, some of the guys, one in particular is at the forefront of my thinking at the moment, Um, he got just £4,000, another one got £30,000, somebody else got £20,000 So I guess that was mm, June, July 2018 or something like that.
0: That's right. And I know that at the time you raised concerns um, with the regulators and with the compensation bodies about why the Mm. compensation levels are are so different. What did they say to you? Did you get any indication from them when this was being looked at?
1: Not really, no. At the time, things were very, very uh, busy. We were spinning our wheels very quickly. There was lots going on. Um, And it was just at the time when the first indications that it wasn't just Active Wealth UK Limited that was causing problems. So we had indications that lots of other people were involved. So we were focusing on lots of things. They said at the time, Fiscus and FOS said at the time, OK, we'll look into it. And we had a few anodyne responses from them. And that was about as far as we took it at that immediate time. We kept plugging away. We went to Westminster a year or so ago, just before the, the lockdown started. Uh, we had a chat with Andrew Bailey. We met with him after they moved into Stratford. He promised to treat the SPS as a special case, um, but Fos and Fiscus resisted. They pushed back, uh, relying on their independence, and it's been a bit of a battle ever since. I think.
0: Yeah, Steve. Can I can I bring you in here? When did you start getting in, involved with this? And and what has been your response to seeing just that the way the methodology is being? calculated you know the way is being awarded to 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 victims what what has been your take on this so far
2: yeah sure so I, I got involved um, probably only about three months ago to be honest um, after a conversation with Al and and it struck me that the level of volatility in the awards he was talking about suggested there was something in the formula that wasn't quite working correctly being an actuary at heart I, I naturally built a model from the FG179 guidance which is what sets out where you calculate it and it wasn't immediately obvious, even from building that model, why it was producing such volatile results. Um, what we then did is, is Al sent me some anonymized cases. And it was the process of feeding through some real life cases and seeing why they got the numbers they got that highlighted that there are some things in the formula that are, that are creating this volatility. Um, And I think could easily be addressed, but do need to be addressed, because otherwise, frankly, it's a bit of a casino. Um, You you can get your compensation one day and get a very high number. And a week later, the same person could get a much lower number.
0: That's right. Steve, if I can stick with with you then on on the numbers. Uh, When I spoke to the FSCS and to the FCA over the past couple of weeks, they're saying, well, our calculation isn't arbitrary. It's based on certain dates. It's based on the The inflation index, it's based on um, market movements, you know, there's nothing arbitrary, there's nothing random about it. But it does seem peculiar, doesn't it, that any sudden sharp drop or sharp spike in the market could mean two people with very similar planes get paid two very different amounts just because of when their calculation is done.
2: Yes, and I I would say the response from the FCA and the FSCS is is largely correct. There is a a really scientific basis for what they've done. However, there are a couple of of technical features in what they've done that are creating this volatility, and I don't think they were deliberate. They're they're effectively the result of sort of approximations which which hold at the time they introduced the formula but need constant revision. And, of course, the, the other thing that's worth saying is over the last... A year or two, we've seen huge amounts of volatility, both in the fixed interest and the equity markets. And that's really magnified the impact of these approximations. So I would say, yes, there is some science behind their basis. I think there's one sort of minor technical error in it. And then there's one feature of it, which they need to allow for, and it doesn't currently allow for. So it's the fact that there's simplifications in there that aren't really working, rather than that the basis has no real scientific uh, justification.
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I know it's not sort of based on someone's subjective um, uh, opinion, but it, it does seem, and Al's made the point, you know, one of his clients getting paid compensation at the tail end of December was given a, I think, was it about 30 or 40% less than his colleague? Yeah. Very oh, yeah. pension pot, and that colleague's um, compensation was, was done in sort of the mid-January, and how have your clients sort of responded to this, um, Al, when they've seen, because they talk with each other, you know, this is what people don't realise, you know, yeah. Steve has talked to each
1: other. I think it's it's interesting to realise or to think that if we didn't have, if we hadn't have had BSPS primarily and firstly in Port Talbot, then Steve would not have looked into this and found the anomaly that he has found. Because we have got people living in the same streets of very similar circumstances going to work together who do talk, as you say, then it has brought it to life. Um, How do they react? First and foremost, steel workers are a very tight-knit group. There's a strong fraternity with them. And nobody who I've spoken to resents or begrudges other people getting more money. What they do resent and what they do begrudge is that now four years into this, they are, as they see it, and as I think they are, being woefully undercompensated to prepare for their retirement in 10, 15, 20 years' time. So there is resentment, not at each other, but again, the regulator who they see has been overlooking them.
0: Yes, and of course, it's not just affecting steel workers, uh, is it? It could be affecting... No, not at all. ...20,000s of people across the UK.
1: Well, I suppose if you go back to when FG 179 was um, rolled out and delivered, how many people have done pension transfers since then? Uh, I've got information from the uh, DB transfer... Market data from October, and there's thousands. So if you wanted to apply this logic to everybody, then potentially everybody who, out of that lot, who have been missold, should have their cases looked at again. If they think, if the the regulator and if Fos and Fiscus does think that something needs to be done.
0: Do you think they agree that something needs to be done? I mean, Steve, have you been able to to talk with them or uh, show them your own actuarial models?
2: Well, yeah, yes, we, we've sent through some information as to where we think the volatility is coming from. And we've suggested a, a, a couple of things that they need to either change or think about. We haven't had the feedback yet on that, but we, we have made the suggestions and we have shown them the sources of the volatility. Um, and they're, they're, they're fairly easy to understand. They're, not, they're things that you would, you would not think about. But once you've actually spotted them, you look at them and say, OK, yeah, that, that, that does make perfect sense. So we're we're now waiting for them to come back on the feedback we've given them. Now, I, I think it's worth saying that both of the issues, in theory, could have worked either way. Someone could get more than they're entitled to or less. But because of the way markets have moved since this was introduced, most yeah. people will have got less.
1: Dozens of people I've spoke to so many have just got in touch randomly to say that, oh, yeah, Taff in the Works has just been contacted by FSCS and been given another £45,000 or Thirty-eight thousand pounds, or they've gone up from twenty to the full eighty-five thousand. Um, as Steve said, because markets have moved as they are, and it does work very much in the in the favour of people who are claiming it at the moment.
0: And these are people, Steve, uh, Steve and Al. That these are people who are often sort of in their sort of thirties and forties, who were diligently putting money aside into their pension, and who are now sort of almost sort of doubly hit aren't they? So they, they, they've they already been missold. The uh, regulators and compensatory bodies have found yes, there was evidence of mis-selling or misadvice um, to transfer out. And then mm. they're the level of compensation they need. That must feel like a, a double
1: Yeah, It's its worth mentioning as well that it's not just the 1st of January cut-off issue. There are people going back to 2017 stroke 18 who got a few thousand pounds having been missold by Darren Reynolds you know, the first guy who really, I suppose, brought this to the surface. But it's not just the volatility that Steve's discussed, it's also the discount rate. And it was the discount rate that was being applied to compensation which first got my attention back in 2018. And Steve will talk about this with far more eloquence and technical detail than I ever could. But it seems that the steelworkers are being burdened with taking far more risk than perhaps the manager of a pension scheme or the trustees of a pension scheme might have to to give them or to get them back into the same position that they would have been in if they hadn't retired. And that, I think, is a crucial trait.
0: Mm. So, yeah, and, uh, Steve, so if I can come back to you, like, we know that in 2019, the, the, the regulators were discussing um, methodology and, and looking into it. Why weren't these things perhaps picked up then? And, you know, was the question of of, of volatility? I mean, is that is that a genuinely problematic one for these steelworkers? Are they indeed taking on more risk than your average institutional pension scheme manager?
2: Yeah, very significantly. So if you you look at the assumption that's effectively embedded in the formulas, it's assuming that over the long term, they're 50% invested in equities, 50% invested in fixed interest. And it's projecting forward the equities based on the dividend yield of the FTSE all share. Now, the last time I ran the calculations for a steel worker to invest in 50% in fixed interest, 50% in equity, and achieve the kind of return that's embedded in that formula, the equities need to do about 7.5% per annum for the next 20 years. Now, when you compare that to what the pensions regulator allows a pension fund to assume, which would be gilt plus 50, gilt plus 60. Gilt yields last time I looked last week were 1.3%, so gilt plus 60 is 2%. So the the pension regulator has pension funds reserving for these liabilities at two percent the fscs is assuming a steel worker can earn an average of five which is made up of, of you know 1.3 on the fixed interest and seven and a half on the equity and that's that's a heck of an ask for a long-term equity return at the moment when when bank base rates are a quarter of a percent
0: yeah absolutely yeah. everyone i've been speaking to has been talking about this lower for longer period of growth yeah. that, that we're in and um you know i've seen some economist models suggesting we could be in this lower for longer growth Period for five, six, seven years. Now, if maybe mm. you're in your late twenties, you've got time to pick this up, but if you're in your fifties and you were hoping to retire at fifty-five or fifty-seven, um you're, you're kind of a bit stiff, aren't you? I think that's the technical term, isn't mm. it? I think I
2: think I think yeah. you're just as stiff if you're in your twenties and thirties as well. If I'm honest, because yeah. if you if you have five years of two percent, not seven and a half, you're twenty-five percent down. You've got to make that up and make the seven and a half percent afterwards. So. My view is a, a long-term realistic equity return right now is not seven and a half percent. That's a fairly simple conclusion to get to. I think when you, when you look at the history of equity returns, they're broadly correlated to inflation plus real economic growth. People, you know, long-term inflation expectations are about three and a half in the market, and real economic growth has struggled to get anywhere near two percent for the last decade or so, frankly, since the financial crisis. So I think you can get yourself comfortable with a number somewhere around five, but, but seven and a half feels really, really scratchy to me.
0: Yeah. Al, what about your clients? When you explain sort of the, the risk-reward trade-off here, do, do, do they get it? Do they, or do they feel like they're suddenly having to become financial experts themselves?
1: Oh, gosh. Some of them understand it. Some of them who have looked into it understand now that they know they're never going to get seven and a half percent year for the next five or six or seven years they know that and they are aware of sequential risk for instance you know the worse off you start with something there is a you know, there's a trade-off or there is a delay triggered down the line so they are aware of that many people though are oblivious to it many people are quite happy that they've got thirty thousand pounds thirty five thousand pounds To them that's more money in the bank that they've ever seen they don't understand that realistically even if they got eighty five thousand pounds from fscs the chances are that their real loss is closer to two hundred thousand pounds. And if you say that to them, they just go white. Their, their eyes widen and they're speechless. They just do not have any comprehension. And that is why you know, we do need to get this resolved asap for them.
0: Yes, of course. And that that sort of touches on the the, the fact that when they redid the FSCS calculations for people whose um, firms or the the firms advising went under, they said eighty five k is is the maximum you could get. And perhaps yeah. people always think that they're going to get that maximum 85K, but actually that's that's not the case, is it? So there's, there are all these levels of sort of, I don't know, financial barriers that seem to be um, preventing people from getting making up that lost value in their pension pot.
1: Yes, they do, and they just don't understand it. There have been barriers over the past three or four years to these guys getting the redress that they want. Many have retired. So many of them still do not have an idea of of the amount that they've lost. Mm. And if we extrapolate that across the country to perhaps a Ford worker in Dagenham, to perhaps a Tesco worker in Cheshire, to perhaps a British aerospace worker in in Manchester or a Rolls-Royce worker in Crewe who's retired, then these people dispersed who don't have the solidarity, if you like, of of the steel workers in Port Talbot and Scunthorpe, they'll probably never know. They'll never know exactly how much they've lost.
0: Yeah, Steve. Is there any way of quantifying um, roughly how much has, has been lost? Is there any, are there any sort of? Uh, I don't want to be a, a alarmist, although I am a journalist, and you know we do like sensational numbers. But it, you know, in your calculations, can you sort of see how much potentially has been lost?
2: Well, so so I, I did I did run some calculations for the cases that Al sent me, where instead of using the FSCS basis, I used the pensions regulators basis that they would specify for pension funds. And that came up with a number typically between 30 and 40% higher than the compensation. So I, I, th- I think you can say it's probably another, another 30 to 40% on top of, of the compensation levels. And of course, the compensation levels are capped. So those caps are biting. There's another feature that I think I would point out we should have touched on earlier on the risk reward trade-off which is normally on a risk reward trade-off if you take risk you're rewarded for it in this particular instance if the steel workers take risk they're not really rewarded if it goes right they get what they had anyway and if it goes badly they don't but the winner if it goes right is the um the fscs that's paid out less compensation so it's taken the benefit and it's left the risk with the steel workers and that that feels pretty unfair to me
0: Yes, of course, because it's meant to be the uh, compensation scheme for consumers, and the regulator is a regulator that is there to protect consumers. consumers. It seems like the consumers are the ones who, whichever way you turn, they seem to be the ones who are um, facing a worse off, a potentially worse off retirement um, income because they aren't getting the the level of address that they are entitled to. I, I, let's wait. We're not talking about oh, we would like them to get more because they're nice people. We're talking about this is sheer mm. mathematical entitlement, isn't it? This is this is pure. Yeah. So
1: it, 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 this is literally putting them back in the place they would have been in if they hadn't have transferred out. That's all it is down to.
2: It, it feels it feels pretty reasonable to me that the start point for calculating their loss should be how much was the pension scheme having to hold for the guaranteed benefit they had the day before they transferred out. What was their transfer value? Well, and, and then the difference between those two is a pretty good first estimate of their loss. And if you use that kind of basis, you come up with a number 30% plus higher than the FSCS basis.
0: Yeah. So of course the the, the um steel workers and all the other sort of DB transfer victims whose financial advisors haven't gone bust and who are able to get their compensation from FOS will probably be getting the maximum possible amount from calls, but all those who have to rely on the FSCS, they're they're already getting this cap biting into any maximums they'd otherwise be entitled to.
1: If you look at the data from October 18 to March 2020, almost just a fraction under 50,000 clients were provided with a personal recommendation to transfer a DB pension, and out of that, the average transfer value where a client was advised to transfer was £405,000. So, If we wanted we can work out some pretty rough numbers from that too And if you wanted to say, according to the FCA, we know roughly how many people shouldn't transfer. Um, If we work out how many firms are involved in that, how many will go into administration, how many will just go under, then you can get an idea roughly of the potential liability out there for people. And that that is the problem. These, These are people who will not get the retirements that they faithfully worked so hard for in the decades leading up to retirement.
0: Now, Al, can I stick with you for a second, because you said something very interesting earlier about people getting this sort of uh, lump sum, um, and you said in their bank. That's a problem, isn't it, Al? Because this is people's pension pot, which should have been Mm -hmm. there for them when they retire, being given Mm -hmm. as a cash lump sum, which we all know is probably not going to be put back into a long term pension scheme that they're not touching it. That, that's another issue that we need to deal with, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, FSES will put the money straight into a claimant's bank. FOS has the flexibility to try and put it back into a claimant's pension. If that happens, then, of course, the claimant has issues with lifetime allowances. So there can be a case made plausibly to have it not put back into the pension. However, realistically speaking, um, what would happen when somebody who's financially illiterate gets 40 or 50,000 pounds at the age of 50. Are they going to have the ability to think ahead, you know what, I might be in retirement for 25, 30 years. This money is supposed to be for retirement. Um, many do use it wisely in my experience. Many have um, got their reti- got their compensation money, paid off a mortgage, a little bit of work on the house. Perhaps they've given the children 5,000 pounds to get them on the property ladder. Um, not many people are wasting it. Campervans seem to be the thing. Uh, one guy asked me if he should invest his compensation into Ethereum, which was alarming. Um, this is where well, education comes well, into it.
0: At least he asked you. This is the good thing. It's all the people that don't ask financial advisors and they go into yep. Dogecoin or uh, Ethereum and because they think, they, yep. oh, well, I'm taking on the investment risk myself. I'm going to put my money where I'm sure to get millions of pounds of returns because TikTok tells me
1: so. Yeah. Absolutely, I I couldn't agree more. I think there's a balance to be struck. I think you can't treat these people like children, especially after what they've gone through. All you can do is try and point them in the right direction. You can say, you can show them a cash flow model and you can say, for goodness sake, yeah, you've got about 14,000 pounds on the mortgage, pay the mortgage off because that will allow you then to put money into a pension for your wife and that can be tax efficient for you if your wife doesn't have one. Um, But ultimately, of course, the decision's theirs and many will make bad decisions. Um, The consequence of that is that in retirement or middle or late retirement, a small community like Port Talbot will not have the money sloshing around the economy, where a retiree would take his wife normally out for a meal on the seafront or spend money on the children or the grandchildren, and there will be a drain, there'll be a burden on social services later in life when these guys run out of money, which is what wouldn't have happened if they had had the steady income stream, of course. Yeah. So, you
0: know,
1: potentially it's a big problem.
0: Yeah, Steve. How do you think the compensation should be awarded? Is there perhaps a way of saying we will award this, but we will be paying it into a pension for you? I mean, the government not arrange a some form of pension or or, or deferred annuity? Or, or some, there must be there must be a, a, a more sensible way. Like if you don't want it as a lump sum, we can pay it into a pension for you now. It doesn't seem like rocket science.
2: Yeah, I mean, if you if you even go back to the consultation that the FCA did when they started looking at this basis, I think it says pretty clearly in there that the best form of compensation for these people would be to put them back into the defined benefit pension scheme. That's clearly difficult in the context of many of the schemes that no longer exist. I have a personal view, and it would need government willing and political willing, I have a personal view that actually something like the PPF could be a really good vehicle here. So the PPF could say... You know, the transfer value we need to take these liabilities back in and, and re-guarantee them is X. You transfer the fund back in and the X comes through the FOS or the FSCS. So my, my preference would be they end up back in a, in a pension scheme. And, and then there are precedents for governments using pension schemes to, to guarantee other pension schemes. And I think it would be a much fairer outcome for the steel workers and a much better outcome, frankly, for, for Port Talbot and the surrounding area.
1: I think it's demonstrated this week that the government can be flexible with its pronouncement on the Judiciary Pension Scheme. It's exempted them from the, from the lifetime allowance. So if there's the political imperative, then they can do something. But I think it would cost billions. That's the issue there. I okay. think initially it would, it would be unpopular with many claimants, but I think with time they would realise that it's probably the best thing for them.
0: But it might cost billions sort of in the short term but when you think about reducing long-term liability on the state that surely is a a, well it's a long-term economic argument and I guess for any current party in power they don't necessarily want to be doing something that makes any successive government look like the hero they want to be the heroes themselves so yeah I mean Steve was right when he said there has to be political willpower behind this.
2: It It was always always the perversity I think of um Uh, of effectively some of the 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 thinking behind pensions freedoms that there was a a view that these pension guarantees are really valuable that you need huge amounts of advice to transfer out of them but never real proper control of that advice and once you were out of them frankly you could put your pension pot on the 320 at Kempton and that was that was freedom Um, and I think taking people back and taking the money off them and putting it back into guarantees is a bit contrary to a lot of the messaging. And I, I suspect that's one of the reasons it hasn't really been pursued. But it is the right outcome for many of these people. I'm, I'm sure Aldi deals with them more than me but will tell you that that actually would be the correct outcome for them. How so many
1: people wish they had not transferred out so many, practically everybody, wishes they hadn't transferred out. But when you say to them, would you like to have your money in the bank or back into the pension, then a lot of them will say, well, I'd like to pay the house off. Or I'd like to help my daughter go on the housing ladder. So there is a conflict there. But yeah. hardly anybody wants to, wishes they could transfer out.
0: Of course. Well, money deferred that you that is taken at source and you don't get your hands on anyway. I mean, that's obviously a, talking DC here. It does... It's not money that you see in your bank. If you're suddenly given five thousand, thirty thousand, seventy-eight thousand pounds in your bank, that's money that you've got now to to play with. And I can understand it's it's a psychological, it's, it's a real sort of behavioural psych, psychologist yeah. um, questionnaire. Like, how do you persuade people that actually this really isn't your money for now? This is actually money that is for you when you're sixty. It's very hard. It's a, del- it's a delayed wage, isn't it?
2: Yeah. We, yeah. We, we, did, we did some interesting stuff following Freedoms at Partnership where we got customers and focus groups and we said, here's a sum of money today, what income would you need in 15 years time to give up that sum of money today and the implicit return that people were building in to think it was worth giving up money today was, was in the 20s percent wise per annum. Yeah. so People put a huge value on cash today and they massively discount payments in the future But frankly, that's why this transfer scandal happened and it's why they need financial advice.
0: Yeah, of course, because uh, Mm. you're gonna get a nice piece of paper with a CETV showing huge sums, maybe quarter of a million or half a million in some cases. This is- um...
1: What's interesting is I've spoken to some um, airline pilots recently and their transfer values were many multiples higher than steelworkers. You had guys in their forties with transfer values of 1.8, 2.2, 2.5 million pounds. And they are subject to exactly the same emotional push-pulls that steelworkers were. Exactly the same. You know, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Hyperbolic discounting. I want the cash now rather than the future. I can do something with it. I don't trust the employer. I don't trust the trustees. I can manage it myself. So, yeah, it's a behavioural issue.
0: And in every single case that we've mentioned on this podcast, every single one of those companies have been doing layoffs. There's redundancies. There's corporate activity going on this is affecting people who are already feeling vulnerable about their employment prospects mm. so you know, why
1: don't why don't we why don't we consider partial transfers you know why doesn't that become a thing know, you, why why aren't, why aren't more trustees engaging with them
0: have you suggested that to the fca or to um, the pensions i have right?
1: done that. I, I, I know it's been mentioned before quite a lot actually i think um, steve Webb is quite a fan of it as well i think i think most people are because it it, it compels the scheme member to think, right, how much do I need? How much income is essential for retirement each month? And how much is discretionary? Mm. So potentially, people can get the best of both worlds?
0: Yeah. yeah. But like you said, Steve, you need to have that political willpower. Yeah. In, in presenting your models to um, the regulators and uh, the so-called powers that be, how receptive do you think they, they, they've been so far? Do you, do you think there, there may be some light at the end of the tunnel?
2: Well, so it, it's the, f- the first time I've got involved in this in any real detail. was Just, just after the conversation with Al, so I've had one one meeting with them. I've, we, we've shared the details of where we think the problem is coming from. I, I have to say, I appreciate it's been a long and slow road to get here. But from my point of view, in that meeting, I thought they were pretty responsive and pretty engaged. Al,
1: I agree. We've had we've had many meetings with the FCA now, and we've all we've come away before with false hope, false expectation. Um, the last meeting we had was, yeah, there was a good feel to it. And I think it's the, the most productive and constructive feeling that we felt after a meeting. So fingers crossed, we've got to get think, something done. Yeah.
2: I, I think in some ways, been able to tell them what we think the problem is probably gives them something they can go away and focus on. T- telling them before that it was very volatile, if they can't see what's causing the volatility, yeah, it's sort of hard yeah. to get them on side. But now we've given them some very, very specific things to go and have a look at. And, and I'm I'm cautiously optimistic that they will take a proper look at it and come back to us with some changes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It, present the problem, but also present, present possible solutions. That, that goes a long way, doesn't it? Al?
1: Isn't it crazy that, that after four years, we have to almost drip feed the solution to the regulator, where the regulator should be coming up with the solution, should be looking at it properly. I, I'm, I'm not a regulator basher. I am genuinely not. I want to work with them. I just hope it can get resolved, I really do.
0: Yeah, because there may be thousands more people who are going through this right now. I mean, I would hope yeah. that all the um, changes, and I know the pensions regulator is taking it quite seriously and putting, um, we saw recently in the Pension Schemes Act as, as well, more powers given to trustees to, uh, to say no, yeah. provide more information. So hopefully the, the, the outflow of, uh, of DB money will be stemmed. Um, but we know that there will still be people who will see the CTV and their eyes will light up and think, wow, I can buy that new house in the country that I've always been dreaming of.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's the psychology of money, isn't it? That's that's the uh, that's the allure of it. That's how much pension trustees want to offload their liabilities. And I suppose that's a, a larger, wider economic problem.
0: Yeah, and a behavioural psychology problem, which... Uh,
2: if we're, if, we're, if we're finishing on a big e- uh, economic view of things, Al, it, it's worth bearing in mind that the money hasn't disappeared. When someone transferred out and they got a CETV that was well below the value of the guarantee, it reduced the deficit in the scheme. There's always a winner yeah. somewhere else on the trade. And I think the problem is, is good advisers in the financial services industry are paying out when the benefits have flown to the companies that these people have transferred from. And I, I do think that's another thing that, that that people should be raising and questioning, because frankly, if Tesco's had a have a smaller deficit because a whole load of people were transferred out, it would feel not unreasonable that Tesco's should be contributing to the cost of that. Yep.
0: Yeah. The economic argument of Tesco's having a smaller deficit means a potentially uh, stronger company, which means potentially stronger stock markets, better valuations, investing in those companies becomes uh, a little bit less risky and perhaps a little bit more rewarding and uh, well, I'm I'm sure,
2: I'm, sure, I'm sure the advice industry will be thrilled to know it's providing free capital to Tesco. <laughs> no, I mean, let's
0: not forget let's not
1: forget their BSPS. I mean it halved it, it needed to halve its its risk and yeah. when it halved its risk transfer values literally doubled. Yeah. And it was that which caused the stampede to the door. People yeah. before were saying 200,000 pounds. These are clever people, you know. You know, they are shrewd people. And they would look at a CTV in 2016 and say £200,000. Now it's not enough. But show them on for £415,000 after the investment strategy had de-risked. And their eyes would just widen.
0: Yeah, of course. And it, it's in the company's interests to get people to transfer out of line, it's, it's an expensive DB scheme and into something else where the company doesn't have to um, pay any deferred pensions down the line.
1: Absolutely. And as Steve has pointed out, the risk is now being taken on by the members, by the steel workers, by the retired shop workers, and not by the pension scheme um, fund managers. Mm-hmm.
2: And, the, and the compensation is coming from, from high high quality advisors who haven't done anything wrong. Effectively, I mean, I made the joke comment, but effectively they're providing free capital to these companies. They're paying the compensation bill while the companies take the benefit of the transfers.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Mm. And that's definitely a, a conversation that we're we're still having and um hopefully we'll continue to have as as a newspaper but obviously as an as an industry and i know there's a there's a big groundswell of support even at uh, westminster um to try and make things fairer for the thousands of good financial advisors out there who, who put the bills but um mm-hmm. even al i'm afraid this is all, all we've got time for i mean we could be talking about this um forever but, I'd like to come back to mm. you perhaps later on in the year when we've got some more uh, information from um, either the FSCS or the FCA. Maybe we'll have a, a more positive tale to tell to thousands of people waiting to to hear whether their compensation is going to be improved. Um, but it just behoves me now to, to thank you, Steve, and to thank you, Al, for taking the time to speak to us um, this mm. morning.
1: Pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: No worries. And uh, thank you all for listening. For more stories, go to ftadvisor.com.